This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Welcome to the Morning Beat. It is Thursdays, and I'm going to be honest with you. As you all know, I wasn't speaking to my mom for a very long time. I have now begun speaking to her. And the first thing that she reminded me on this beautiful Cinco de Mayo is that this was the night I was conceived. So I feel a lot of ways about that. I feel very grateful that Dr. Jen Mann is my co-host today to break through that trauma. I can't even have a tequila shot. She like ruined it for me. I can't even like go out now without being like, was this the time my mom and dad saw each other across the bar and decided this was the moment that I would be here? I mean, it's a lot for me. So I'm very happy you're here with this, Dr. Jen. We all want to think about our parents having sex. <laughs> it's a thanks, lot. Mom. Yeah, thanks, mom. Dr. Jen, I'm already a nightmare. I know. I was like, girl, we just started talking again. Things are going really well. TMI, TMI. <laughs> but I am happy that uh, that we're talking. It's been really good. You've been such a big part of that journey, Dr. Jen. How are you feeling this fine morning? It's a little early for me, but I'm very excited to be here with you and to get to hang with you and to talk. I mean, we just have so many interesting things to talk about today. When when I was looking at the show run, I was like, oh, wow. Oh, this is so interesting. Oh, I can't wait to hear what Michaela has to say about that. I can't wait to talk about that. So I'm very excited. I feel the same way. And I love and appreciate and respect um, all of your opinions. Of course, I, I tell everybody I fell in love with you uh, from VH1. Your advice was so incredible. Uh, and it's always very honest. And this hour, we're talking about something really important and something I didn't think about. The tragedy of Naomi Judd's death is actually really highlighting the mental health of our elders. Are we doing enough for our older community and um, how are we making sure that their minds are being stimulated? I I remember as my grandma was getting older, uh, there would be times when I walked into her house to take her somewhere and she would just be sitting there like staring off into space. The TV could be on, but she just was not fully there it was really interesting to see and um and I did not love that also a boss is forcing employees to sign a pledge not to whine or show up early for work is this even ethical or does he have a point and then coming up today we're also joined with Dr. Alfie uh we've been joined by her many times we're talking about uh it's Mental Health Awareness Month, but we're shifting focus to specifically women and trans men who may feel like second-class citizens when it comes to controlling our bodies. That's for Therapy Thursday. So we have a really, really great show for you. So for now, let's kick it off with a little bit of news 
On the beat, as always, there is just so much going on. Nearly half of LGBTQ youths in the United States have seriously considered suicide. In the past year, a survey released piling onto concerns for a vulnerable group of adolescents amid a nationwide Culture war over LGBTQ issues. The survey conducted by the Trevor Project, an LGBTQ youth suicide prevention and crisis intervention group, pulled 34,000 LGBTQ people aged 13 to 24. Among the report's key findings is that 73% of of respondents reported symptoms of generalized anxiety disorder and 58% reported symptoms of major depressive disorder. While the Trevor Project only surveyed LGBTQ youths for its latest report, the National Institute of Mental Health, a federal agency that researches mental disorders, estimates that 17% of Americans ages 18 to 25 suffer from depression and 11% have serious suicidal thoughts. The survey's findings come amid a historic legislative push by state lawmakers across the country to limit the rights of LGBTQ people, particularly transgender minors. I'll tell you, this doesn't even surprise me. I would not like to be a teenager right now. I sympathize with all teenagers, with our LGBTQ youth. It's a really tough time. It really is. And it, 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 I think that Dr. James, who was on your show the other day, put it really well on his Instagram that it just feels like this news cycle, it like just so much is blowing up. So much is just kind of like an assault on us on our rights on just so much and it's it's very it's very disturbing it is it really is all right let's get into a little bit of weather it's going to be a high of 79 in dallas 101 degrees in la quinta 57 in cleveland 89 in atlanta 86 in miami 87 in houston 101 in Palm Springs, 96 in Vegas, 78 in LA, and 71 in New York. Now, before we get a vibe of the day, I want to remind you, Channel Q presents our second annual Divas in the Desert, starring the Tell It to My Heart Diva, the one and only Taylor Dane, Thursday, May 19th, 7 to 10 p.m. at the Morongo Casino Resort and Spa. Divas in the Desert is our fundraising event benefiting DAP Health and the Coachella Valley LGBTQ Center. So much fun. Rosemary Galore and friends will be joining us for a fun drag show, plus... I will be singing a few songs from my new album and Capping the Night will be a special guest performance by Taylor Dane. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com and keep it tuned here for your chance to win your way in. Channel Q's Diva in the Desert, a fun night for a great cause. Now, Dr. Jen, please give us a vibe of the day. I just first have to say I love Taylor Dane, but I'm all about you singing and performing, and that sounds very exciting. Thank you, Dr. Now Jen. for my vibe of the day. Okay. okay. This is straight from the icon Gloria Steinem. Once we give up searching for approval, we often find it easier to earn respect. I love that, and I feel like it's true. As my people-pleasing tendencies are drifting, I find that I like myself, and I'm getting new energy attracted to me and I like it a lot and it also makes you less worried about what other people think of you and then you do what is right for you and what is consistent with your values and that makes it easier to earn respect absolutely um all right coming up with the tragedy of Naomi Judd's death is it highlighting the mental health of our elders what it is we need to know we have a conversation in seven minutes good morning beat channel q Now, I don't know about you, Dr. Jen, but I grew up on the Judds. I loved Winona and Naomi. I thought they were so special. I thought Naomi was so beautiful. So it was always very interesting to hear her in interviews later on very openly talk about her depression and anxiety. And as this 
tragedy sheds more light about what happened. Uh, it has been alleged that she took her own life at 76 years old, just days before being inducted into the Hall of Fame, and just months before her doing her final tour with Winona Judd. Now, depression among older adults is generally rare, with prevalence rates at or below five percent. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention estimates, but among those who are hospitalized or need home health care, the rate of depression is much higher when it comes to our elders: eleven point five percent and thirteen point five. Percent. So, Doctor Jen, what kind of conversations do we need to be having when it comes to our elders and their fighting depression and their own mental health? Well, first of all, I'd like to say that I disagree with the Center for Disease Control and Prevention about this being rare and about the the stats. And maybe maybe when they're talking stats, they're talking about number of people who are clinically diagnosed,、mm-hmm. number of people who are hospitalized, number of people who meet the criteria. For a full-blown disorder, or maybe need medication, but I have to tell you, I see an enormous amount of depression in older adults. And when we look at psychology and developmental psychology, that stage of life is the conflict that they have is what's called generativity versus stagnation. And when you're not able to be productive in the same ways, which oftentimes happen because maybe you're retired or maybe you have health issues, most people, to some degree, that I see, struggle with their mental health. Now, granted, I'm biased. I'm a psychotherapist, so you know people don't call me and say like, "Hey, I'm feeling fabulous. I'd like to come <laughs> for a session. Let's talk about how great I'm doing." <laughs> But it is important that we don't make any assumptions. That we don't say, "Okay, you know, my parents or my grandparents or my aunt or my uncle. Oh, they must be doing fine because they're playing bocce ball, or they must be doing fine because they." Play a bridge game once a week, or they're able to use email and they continue to stay in touch with me. And I think that it's really important we don't make assumptions and that we ask the questions. We ask the people in our our lives who are older, how are you sleeping? How are you eating? How are you feeling? And and that we ask questions that sometimes, like you know, sleeping and and eating. Someone may not connect the dots who doesn't know about depression, and they may not realize that they are depressed. They may just be thinking,、um, "I'm exhausted." Um, well, it's because I'm not sleeping well. But when in fact it's the depression that's preventing them from sleeping well, and the exhaustion may be a sign of depression. So I think it's important to ask the questions and also to encourage them to speak to their physician. A lot of the time, someone who's older is not used to thinking about talking to their Internist about their mental health, and a lot of the time, internists don't think to to ask, but they can be a real ally when it comes to helping address mental health issues. Well, Dr. Jen, I would love your advice on this. Then,、um, and I think it's a very common story. My mother-in-law, Lisa's mom, who's a wonderful. Lady and I, I adore her. She lost her husband and she lost her mom, both of which she took care of,、um, even in the time span that Lisa and I have been together. And now she lives in this big house, and she often complains of suffering from vertigo, of not being able to sleep. She doesn't come from the mentality where being、uh, depressed or having anxiety was necessarily normalized. She does try、mm-hmm. to call her doctor and figure out what needs to be done. But <clears throat> I mean, what should they be asking their physician? And Are there specific medications, or are there specific things that, in general, we should be doing、uh, for our mothers or fathers-in-law, our older aunts, our older uncles,、um, to help them in this journey, which we know is is depression? 
Well, I think, first of all, anything with vertigo, you want to have her address it with the doctor to see what's going on. Um, but then with the, with the rest of it, I think if, if you can address the vertigo, because obviously you don't want to encourage her to go out and then she passes out or, you know, has something happen. But once that's been addressed to encourage her to connect with other people and possibly get her to um, start some kind of connected activity, whether it is depending on her abilities, both technologically and physically, whether it is a Zoom once a week Zoom with her girlfriends that they can catch up or a, you know, some kind of activity that they can get together. And, you know, I hate to give these like cliche, like, oh, like a knitting group, because that sounds like so like, oh, let's just categorize all older people as being like old ladies who knit. But but whatever activity that she likes, I think is important that she start to connect with other people because that social connection as we learned in this pandemic, especially when we were locked down, that it is so important for our mental health. And one of the things that tends to happen as people get older is that they lose friends, they lose relatives, they they lose loved ones. I think a grief and loss group could be amazing for her because sometimes someone who is not open to therapy, who thinks, oh, that's not something I would do, might be open to a grief and loss group where you can say, hey, you could talk to other people who have been through these kind of losses. You can get some tips on how to deal with that, that that can make someone feel less alone and, and be super helpful. Thank you so much, Dr. Jen, for that. Because, you know, honestly, I feel like our, the elder, I don't want to say elder because I feel like it makes it sound older. Our just our, our wiser community has given us, I feel like, so much. And including like my grandma, like I said, and then you watch them as they get older and uh, they don't have as much support as I think that they deserve. And also they're very resistant. I know that even if you go to sometimes older people and you're like, hey, do you want to do this? They're like, no, I don't. And you're like, no, come on, please do this because it's good for your mental health. And I think also, as you and I have talked about, whatever people are, they become more of as they get older if they're not in therapy. And so if you're someone who tends to be rigid, you're going to only get more rigid as you get older. If you're someone who's stubborn, you're just going to get more stubborn. If you're someone who's depressed, you're going to get more depressed. And so it can be very challenging when someone is really stuck in their beliefs or unwilling to shift. But sometimes, and also we have to keep in mind, sometimes our relatives can't hear it from us. It's better to hear it from uh, a physician or better to hear from some other person who they respect. Uh, well, I respect you so much and I will make sure to pass all of this information along. I hope this helps our listeners as well because it all just comes from so much love. Now coming up, a boss is forcing employees to sign a pledge not to whine or show up early for work. Is this even ethical or does he have a point? We'll talk about it next. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. 
In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. B. Morning. B. B. Channel Q. That's a new song by Zara Larson, Words, and I'm loving it. Ready for these summer bops. Uh, but this next story, this boss had words for his employees and they're not feeling it. So a boss has divided opinion after allegedly forcing workers to sign a so-called sweat pledge. The contract, which is named Skill and Work Ethic Aren't Taboo, mandates employees not to whine and to show up for work early. The document posted on the site consists of 13 rules workers must follow. One says, I believe the best way to distinguish myself at work is to show up early, stay late, and cheerfully volunteer for every crappy task there is. Another rule states, I believe that the most annoying sounds in the world are whining and complaining. I will never make them. If I am unhappy at work, I will either find a new job or find a way to be happy. Workers are also required to complete their shift without using their cell phones, and employees cannot rest, uh, resent the success of others. Now, I want your opinion deeply, Dr. Jen Man. I will give you one example. I have example. so much to say about this one. I, need, I, I have a lot. I need you yeah. to take this entire segment. I will say this. There was a moment in my life where I worked at the Beverly Hills Hotel for the suit owner. I needed the money and there's a job that I, there's no job I won't take. I can be skilled at anything. I'll lie my way into it and I'll Google it later. I worked for the suit owner and he, I would have to sit there for eight hours a day. I was not mm-hmm. allowed to speak. I was not allowed to be on my cell phone. If I was mm-hmm. caught, I would get in trouble. I couldn't Google or be on the computer. Obviously, that job did not last long. It was so patronizing and misogynistic and gross, and I hated that job, and I still feel like I have trauma from it. So what yeah. is this boss doing, and how is it so harmful? Okay, I, I think that my perspective is going to surprise you. Okay. I think that there are a lot of things. There are 10 different points in this sweat pledge. I think many of them are great rules to live by. Where I have an issue is that this boss is making people sign it, making a pledge to it. That I don't think is right. And I remember, I think it was probably 15 years ago, Susie Ormond did a show. And I remember her talking, someone had called in a young person who was just starting their career. And they said, like, how can I be successful? And Susie said, be the first one in the office and be the last one to leave. Take on all of the tasks that nobody wants to take Mm. on. Show your great work ethic. And I think that 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 is very true. I don't think it's cool to make people sign a pledge to do that. I think that it's great when someone has been raised in a family or a situation where that is their work ethic. And I don't think that that is where everyone is coming from. For some people, hey, this is just a job. I just want to kind of get by. I want to make sure I've got a roof over my head and food on my plate. And that's cool. Like that, you do you. I, I think that the idea of not complaining in the workplace. I think that when we complain, I think that that kind of negative energy spreads. And I think it's understandable that someone may want that not to be part of the culture in their workplace. And I think that that's not a terrible thing. 
again, where I have a problem is making people sign a pledge saying, these are, these are my philosophies. These are rules that I am going to stand by. I think that you're better off posting and saying, hey, I'm the owner of this company. These are my philosophies. I have it someplace where people can see so that it starts to become the culture and be so inspiring that people naturally don't want to complain. Where you reward people for coming early and staying late, where you create a culture where people want to do the things that you believe are important to make right. your company a success. And I think that that's, that's the difference. I agree. I will say that I grew up, first of all, I love uh, Susie Orman. My mom used to watch her and I thought she was so incredible. I'm also Capricorn very much. So I like will show up early. I will leave late. I will take all the tasks. I will not be sick. I will bust my butt. What I learned though in the pandemic is that actually does not work for me. I get burnt out. I get really tired. There wasn't a lot of self-care, like balancing there. So mm -hmm. do you think also that these are sort of dated requests? Like people are learning that they don't want to strive to be at the top of the list if it has to do with making their um, their own personal self anxious or, or nervous or too much pressure. Well, look, first of all, I don't think everyone has to be type A and I don't think everyone wants to, you know, necessarily be like a boss girl and like, like aspire to run the company or have their own company. Not everybody wants to speedily like walk that ladder, climb that ladder. And that's okay. Like that's what makes the world a, a unique, wonderful place that different people have different goals. I also think that a lot of the time when we are in that mode of like, I'm coming early, I'm staying late, and we feel burnt out and balanced. We also have to look at our life, our, our outside the work life. Are we doing things that are nourishing us? Are we drinking mm. and partying and then we're depressed and exhausted? Are we spending time with people who are nourishing us and lifting us up and making us feel good? Or are we spending time with people who are you know, complaining and negative and don't support us and don't encourage us to reach our goals. So I, th I think that we have to look at the the whole picture. And again, not everybody wants to climb the ladder and that's okay. But I think that these are, these are more tips that if you want to climb that ladder, you want to be super successful. A lot of these tips are, are, are pretty helpful. Yeah. Uh, you know what, Dr. Jen, that was a really great point. It is very difficult if you're not taking care, care of yourself at home and then going to the workplace. It's something I've definitely been guilty of as well. As always, I just love your input. Uh, now, coming up, one celebrity is admitting she almost killed her 99-year-old grandma. And we have the shocking details and what's popping next. The Morning Beat with AJ and Michaela. Channel Q. Okay, now when I came out as a lesbian to my 90-year-old grandma, very Italian Catholic, I didn't know how it was going to go. Um, and honestly, she handled it so iconically. She wanted Lisa to feel a part of the family. So we went to JCPenney. She bought her this crucifix, got it blessed by her Catholic priest, and gave it to Lisa. And that was like a very Italian Catholic thing to do. Oh my God, that's so great. Uh, I know. And we love her for that. But Portia de Rossi is saying, similar experience. She thought she killed her 99-year-old grandmother after coming out as gay. So apparently, her grandma used to watch Ellen DeGeneres and she loved her until 97 when she came out as gay. Her grandma then refused to watch the show. If she saw commercials of Ellen DeGeneres, she called her disgusting, vile. So years later, when Portia de Rossi moved to LA from Australia, her grandma said, 
well, are you dating anybody? And uh, Portia said, yeah, I'm dating Ellen DeGeneres. She said, uh, "Here's let's hear it from her. We'll take a listen. And I came home to see my family in Australia. And I sat by Grant's chair at her feet. And she said to me, are you seeing anyone special? Now, at this point, my mom was supposed to have told Graham that I was with Ellen. So, and she knew that we lived together. And I said, Gran, I'm with Ellen. And she said, Alan? Who's Alan? She's Australian. <laughs> She's 99 at this point. I said, yeah, I mean, you, you, you knew that I lived with Ellen. And she said, yes, and all this time I was worried that that lesbian was hitting on my granddaughter. <laughs> right? So then she literally puts her head in her hands for 20 seconds or 30 seconds, silent. And I thought, that's it. I've killed my grandma. She's just going to literally fall out. I really thought that I did. And she just looked at me and she goes, well, I love you just the same. Yes, because grandmas are so great. I feel like, I mean, you're a mom and I'm sure that you probably... Uh, will one day be a grandma and I hope because I feel like you'd be the best and I feel like I hope so it's a redo right like all the great things you did as a parent you get to like redo as a grandparent and it's just the best and, and I also think that there's a love between a grandparent and a child that's just so special and it sounds like that love opened this grandma's eyes and her heart and helped to make her less judgmental and I, and I think that's a pretty amazing thing I agree. All right, coming up, it's Mental Health Awareness Month, but we're shifting focus to the women and trans men who may feel like second-class citizens. When it comes to controlling our bodies, Dr. Alfie joins us for Therapy Thursdays in the next hour. The Morning Beat with AJ and Michaela, Channel Q. Honestly, I am sad after listening to that song. Halsey, like, literally dragged that man and was like, I'm so glad I never had a baby with you. Like, just dragging him for... It's 7 a.m., Halsey, okay? Like, can I just wake up and have my 48 espresso Americano with my friend, Dr. Jen Mann from VH1, who everybody knows because she's really famous too. And if you haven't gotten her book, uh, The Relationship <laughs> Fix, You're Missing Out on Life um, in general. Thank you, Dr. Jen. Thank you, Michaela. It's always wonderful to be here with you. Also with the IV link to a lot of caffeine uh, being shot in my arm. Yes, yes, I know we need it. Uh, I'm so excited. It's Therapy Thursdays today. We are talking mental health awareness on women who are feeling like second class citizens due to the fact that Roe v. Wade might get overturned. It's definitely a show full of girl power. Dr. Alfie joins us. And of course, Dr. Jen Mann will have an incredible uh, opinion as well as we just get deeper into this and how it, you know, we're talking so much about the physical body and the control of our bodies, but we really need to put emphasis on our minds as well and how it's sort of playing in our mental health, the trauma and PTSD it's probably bringing up for a lot of women and trans men. So I'm excited to have that conversation. Also, it's Cinco de Mayo. Also, that's PTSD because I know that I was conceived on Cinco de Mayo and every year I just drink enough tequila to get me to sleep and I wake up and remember that it never happened. So I don't know if that's coping or what, Dr. Jen, but it's happening. Yeah, I think you have a little trauma about your mom discussing the the moment of conception with you. <laughs> no, but I'm sorry. Nobody wants to, of their parents in a sexual way. We just don't, no matter how amazing they are, no matter how close we are, we just don't want to think about them that way. Yeah, I don't want that. Nobody wants that. Also, no. coming up this hour... Couples oftentimes share pets, but what if the couple divorces? Is there a thing like 
custody or joint custody of your pets. Listen, if I have a lot to say about this, and I see this a lot in my psychotherapy practice. Do you? This is a common thing. This is actually a common thing, and I have some opinions about it that may surprise you. I love that, and I want to know, because listen, if Lisa and I ever broke up, I'm taking the dogs. (laughs) They're mine. Just like in Legally Blonde. Exactly. I'm taking the dog, dumb. Well, I don't know if I can yeah, say the yeah, other yeah. word. Exactly. <laughs> dumb A. Yeah. <laughs> I love that movie. All right, for now, let's get into a little bit of news on the beat. There's a lot going on, of course, and we would not want you to miss it. Uh, transgender children are unlikely to detransition or come to identify with their birth sex five years after their social transition. A new study found the findings published Wednesday in the journal pediatrics come from a larger project called the trans youth project researchers at princeton university began in 2013 to track 317 kids between ages 3 and 12 who socially transitioned the first and largest sample of its kind according to christina olson the study's lead author and a professor of psychology at princeton the results showed that five years after their initial social transition 94 percent of the study participants were living as either trans girls or trans boys the remaining youth had retransitioned transitioned as the study called it and no longer identified as binary transgender of that group 2.5% became to identify with their birth sex all right another news a florida teacher claimed she was fired for discussing her pansexual status with middle school students whom she then asked to draw pictures representing their own sexual orientations Cape Coral art instructor uh, Casey Scott said her students were curious about her sexual orientation and she explained to them that she was pansexual during a lesson in March. Pansexual refers to someone who's attracted to all categories of people, regardless of their sex, gender identity, or sexual orientation. Scott, who is married to a man, said the kids at his middle school then created flags representing their own sexuality and gender identities, ranging from transgender and non-binary to gay. As a parent, Dr. Jen, and as being like an incredible psychotherapist, what is your opinion on that? Well, look, I think it's important that we have discussions that uh, help our children to understand that whatever they, whoever they're attracted to, it's all cool. I think it's very important to be educated. I don't know that, that students need to know exactly what their teachers are doing in their own bedroom. So I, I have kind of mixed feelings about it, to be really honest, that I think that it's great that they got to make flags. I think that, you know, all of that is wonderful that they're having the discussions. I just don't know that we need to know about kind of the sexual lives of people who are teaching our kids. You know, I think if it comes up in conversation, that's one thing, you know, and I guess it did in this instance, but um you know, I think it's a it's a complicated issue. What, what are your thoughts about it? I think it's a complicated issue as well because I feel like I want to have... One thing I love about you that you gave me as a parenting tip that I will take on is you never, ever have lied to your children. You didn't lie about Santa Claus. You had very open conversations with them. Um, and I, I always remember that Santa Claus conversation. And I will raise my children like that. I, I want them to be very open with who they are. I do want to have the ability to control when they find out. I don't want to say control. I would like to be the one to guide them in uh, their sexuality, their openness, because I do think it's something that's very, very vulnerable. And I don't want anyone doing that for my children, except for Lisa and I, um, mm-hmm. unless we hire somebody. So yeah, maybe in the school, I, I, I would want her to say, I'm married to a woman. I think that's okay, because I feel like my heterosexual teachers 
pictures were like, yes, me and my husband. That's something. 100%. I, I agree. I don't yeah. know if drawing a picture of my sexuality is something I'd want my niece or nephew to do, nor my children. So I hear you. It's complicated and I'm not totally into it. And I think there's, there's like a boundary issue. Like, I think that's that as we're talking about it, I think that that's really what the issue is for me that that, OK, there need to be some kind of boundaries of kind of your bedroom life and discussing it with children in general. I right. think that that's like, and I agree with you, of course, if, if they're having a conversation with their teacher and their teacher is married to a man or a woman, of course, absolutely. Yes. My husband, my wife, whatever it is that, that, that is relevant to the conversation. Totally cool. But I, I, I this seems a little bit much to me when it comes to to boundaries. Absolutely. I agree. All right. Let's get into a little bit of weather. It's going to be a high of 71 in New York, 78 in LA, 95 in Vegas, 101 in Palm Springs, 87 in Miami, 60 in San Francisco, 64 in Buffalo, 101 in La Quinta and 66 in Boston. Now, if you don't mind, uh, actually, let me remind you guys of something really fun and then we'll do a vibe of the day. Channel Q presents our second annual Divas in the Desert starring the Tell It to My Heart Diva, the one and only Taylor Dane. Thursday, May 19th, 7 to 10 p.m. at the Morongo Casino Resort and Spa. Divas in the Desert is our fundraising event benefiting DAP Health and the Coachella Valley LGBTQ Center. So much fun. Rosemary Galore and friends will be joining us for a fun drag show. Plus, our very own me will be performing songs from my new album and capping the night will be a special guest performance by Taylor Dane. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. Keep it tuned here for your chance to win your way in. Thank you, Dr. Jen. Now give us a vibe of the day. We generate fears while we sit. We overcome them with action. Oof, if that's not the realest, truest thing ever, it's the hardest thing and it is definitely the thing. So I appreciate that. All right, it is Therapy Thursdays. We are joined with Dr. Alfie as we discuss this Roe v. Wade. Uh, It's Mental Health Awareness Month, but we're shifting focus specifically to women and trans men today who feel like maybe second-class citizens when it comes to controlling our bodies. We'll have that conversation in seven minutes. The Morning Beat with AJ Gibson and Michaela Gordon. Channel Q. Okay, although I'm not obsessed with the topic, I'm obsessed with the ladies joining me to have this conversation for Therapy Thursdays. Uh, it is Mental Health Awareness Month, but we do want to shift our focus to the women and trans men who may feel like second-class citizens when it comes to men trying to control our bodies. We are joined by our dear friend of the show, Dr. Alfie, we adore you. Also co-hosting with me today, Dr. Jen Mann. So let's get into it, Dr. Alfie. We talk a lot about our physical body, but what is this doing for women and trans men with their mental health? Ah, so many thoughts. So first of all, of course, Michaela and Dr. Mann, thank you for having me. Um, It's always a gift to be able to be with you all and to have you uplift these topics. And I'll tell you, for me, it's been quite an emotional roller coaster and I feel like for women and trans men it's been really difficult to process what's happening because I think we're I think for most of us we're in shock that this is even on the table um, and I think as well it feels like an attack on us because the people making the decisions are not women uh, for the most part and it's very painful as well to see potentially a woman supporting what we've been seeing. So it it really has been heavy and and very, very difficult for so many. I agree. Dr. Jen, I'd love to invite you in this conversation as well. 
What do you think uh, in regards to Dr. Alfie? It's true. Men are making this decision for women, but that doesn't seem to be something that will be changing. How Mm -hmm. do men still in 2022 have so much control over women's rights in our bodies? It's pretty, it's pretty shocking. It really feels like an episode of The Handmaid's Tale. And I remember Mm. when I was in college in the, I think in the late 80s, I remember marching in Washington for women's rights and rights and for abortion rights and thinking, oh, like we've got this covered. Like, and here we are decades later. And it's shocking to me as a woman and someone who's been an activist since I was in my early teens that this is on the table, that that this is where we are when it comes to women and rights and trans rights and human rights. And it's just it's it's quite shocking and disturbing to me. I do want to bring up and Dr. Alfie, I'll come to you first. Um, yeah. One of the points that are being so beautifully made by women. Also, I'm just so proud of women in the way that we're coming together. Um, they're yeah. saying it's so devastating that we have these forced births and Unfortunately, there's no like proper health care. There's no maternity leave. We're at a seven percent inflation. There's we're being forced to have these children. And and for some, it would be OK. But for many, many women, particularly women of color and, and women who um, are not making the same amount of money, they don't have a choice. And the stress being added, I really want to talk about if you're barely able to feed the two babies that you already have, you're now expected to have a third baby. What kind of stress does that put on a woman, not only mentally, but while the baby's growing inside of her? Amen. And so and I think of all the different circumstances um, in which women find themselves where hopefully it's a choice to bring another child into the world. Um, but sometimes it may not be either their choice or their their first choice, the choice that they want. Um, and so I think in, in those instances, it's really hard to think conceptually, just, just thinking every day that you awake and you're breathing and you're living and you're walking on this planet and you're pregnant and it's not necessarily something that you want and you don't have an opportunity to make a different choice. It's a constant, consistent reminder and it's ongoing stress. And so I think the idea, and, that, and then I think we have to think physically about what stress does to the body. So mm-hmm. if you're feeling these things emotionally, you have no outlet. This is not necessarily something that you want. Um, and you don't even have the choice to make a different decision for yourself. I think the, the weight and the gravity of that, for me, just thinking about it, it's infuriating. And I can only imagine for a woman who does not have the right to make those decisions about her own body. This is my body. This is not some. Yeah. So it's a lot. It's a lot. And and I think also, you know, this really speaks to that it disproportionately affects women who are living in poverty, people of color, that minorities, because a lot of the women who I'm speaking to are saying, you know, look, women of a higher socioeconomic status are saying to me, you know what, look, I can get on a plane and fly to Europe or to Canada if I need an abortion. But what about women who can't afford that? That 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 is who's going to be affected the most. And that is the vast majority of women. Well, I know that we're focusing. Also, no, sorry. no, please go ahead. No, Dr. Go ahead, Alfie. Okay, look, go ahead. You know, I just want to say I think we're so women heavy, but I do also want to recognize trans men. If you've remembered yes. movies like Boys Don't Cry with Hillary Swank and the way that yes. they brutally raped uh 
her character in the film. Yes. Oftentimes yes. we watch trans men. Uh, it's, yes. It is very common for them to be sexually abused and to then, yes. for them also to not have the choice to yes. take care of themselves uh, or and to take care of this baby. Like, where are we at for our trans brothers, uh, their mental health? How are they yes. constantly having to protect themselves, navigating through just having the right hormones, being able to afford them? We have not made it affordable for our trans community at all to live the life they want, and now they're expected to bring in a baby? That's right. And I, I echo everything that you're saying, Michaela, and I would add that part of this is thinking about those multiply marginalized identities. Right. And so you're having to go through the world, you know, already fighting for dignity and respect and just value for who you are, period. Right. Every day. And you want to be able to make those decisions as a trans man and to have people inflict that kind of harm and pain for something that you don't want, coupled with you don't then have the opportunity to make a choice, potentially might not have the opportunity to make a different choice for yourself. I just think about the the multiple marginalized identities and the weight and gravity of that when you're already day to day, let's say you're a trans man of color, regardless of socioeconomic status, you, that you're struggling with the, the prejudices and biases that people put on you. So to have this added pressure, and I'll add really quickly, some of the language uh, in the, the opinion that we saw that referenced black people specifically, I was infuriated. And so thinking about people making these decisions, using ideas, that really aren't part of their communities and that don't resonate with me. And so this is a, what you just shared as an example. It's just one more example of how people can be a little tone deaf and not understand and not try to walk in other people's shoes um, and give them grace. Well, Dr. Jen, I want to come to you. I think that a point um, I'm piggybacking off uh, after Dr. Alfie is that I saw this really incredible post and it said, you want us to have these children and you want them mm -hmm. to be alive unless they are trans, disabled, mm -hmm. gay, queer, um, of color, all of these yep. things. And if you look at the bills that they're trying to pass, all of that backs it up 100%. And so the bigger mm -hmm. question is, we're having these children, but who's going to truly take care of them? Are we just going to shove them in mm -hmm. foster care? I mean, how, it gets so leveled. How do you have an argument like that with somebody who's pro uh, or, or not pro-choice? Uh, and look, I think you you ask a very important question, and I think a lot of people are very entrenched in their views, and it's very hard for them to see things differently. I, I there's a post that I saw yesterday that I, I'd love to share. It's uh, someone who I absolutely love following. It's Quentin Quarantino, not Tarantino, but Quarantino. Mm -hmm. And in the post, it says. <laughs> Here's, here's the thing, guys. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when life begins. It doesn't matter whether a fetus is a human being or not. That entire argument is a red herring, a distraction, a subjective, mm. unwinnable argument that could not matter less. It doesn't matter whether we're talking about a fertilized egg or a fetus or a baby or a five-year-old or a Nobel mm. Prize winning pediatric oncologist. Nobody has a right to use your body against your will, That's even it. to save their life or the life of another person. That's it. Mm. That's the argument. Yes. You cannot be forced to donate blood or marrow or organs, even though thousands die every year on waiting lists. Mm. They cannot even mm. harvest your organs after your death without your explicit written pre-mortem permission. Denying women, we could say people with uteruses, the right to, to abortion means that we have less bodily autonomy than a corpse. 
Dr. Mm. Jen, I have goosebumps. It was perfectly the way to say everything. With this last minute, I do want to bring a conversation. Dr. Alfia, come to you. Dr. Jen, man, I'd like to know. One thing that has also been brought up is why can't men just have vasectomies? They can be reversible. Why aren't we talking about mm-hmm. men's birth control? Um, mm-hmm. Why is that being so silented when truly that makes the most sense to me? And I think a lot of women. Look, I because yes, because there are men who have power, who have the authority to make those decisions, and they are not called to task for failing to honor the wishes of trans men and women. Period. That's really for me. That's really what it is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also think that there there's a trust issue. Well, I think it is of the utmost importance that we be exploring more options with birth control on the side of the people with penises. Mm -hmm. I think that that Mm -hmm. is of the utmost important. At the same time, there's a trust issue that if you're trusting somebody else to provide the birth control and you are not providing it yourself, that you're then Mm -hmm. trusting them and not everybody trusts everybody Mm -hmm. who they're sleeping with. Mm -hmm. Wow. Honestly, I just feel Dr. Alfie, you know that I adore you. You're so brilliant. Thank you for having these conversations with us. Dr. Jen Mann, truly somebody that I love and look up to. I feel so grateful to even just sit in the room and have these conversations with you for our sisters, our trans brothers. I want everyone to feel empowered after hearing this and we will continue doing the important work. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank you. Thank you. Good morning, B. Channel Q. Okay, so I'm so in love with Lisa, my partner, and we have two beautiful dogs who I love so much. I can't get enough of them. They literally sleep with us. We do everything together. But if Lisa and I were ever to break up, which will never be, um, I would definitely be like, taking the dogs, babe. I, they're my dogs. I love them. I'm taking them. She would fight with me. We, I feel like we would be in a custody battle. Like I'd have to call Judge Judy and be like, this isn't going well, Judge Judy. You need to fix this. I'd probably then call you, Dr. Jen, and be like, therapize me through this. She's getting Absolutely. Rocco. I'd be there for you. As with everything, and I'm so grateful for that. But this is actually a very common story. Why every marriage yes. should have a pet nuptial agreement. Cautious newlyweds worried about the fate of their furry companions. Should their plans to live happily ever after go awry, they have protection over their animals. Now, although this even may sound a little funny, it's really common. And Dr. Jen, you know so much about it. Yeah, well, a number of things. First of all, more and more people are getting prenups and that this was once something that was just for the uber wealthy, but now more and more younger couples who don't necessarily have tons of money are getting them in order to protect the things that they have built to make sure that there is a plan in place of God forbid something goes wrong. But when it comes to pets, I think that this is actually a really smart thing to add into that. And I have seen so many cases, both in my private practice and in my personal life, where people have shared custody of their pets. And you, I have to say, 90% of the time, it does not work out very well. That it also, it elongates the amount of time you have to, and the frequency of how much contact you have to have with your ex, which is not always a great thing for your mental health. It provides more forms for conflict post breakup. It it is it is a very difficult thing to 
carry out successfully without creating a lot more stress for everyone. Yeah, I feel like although uh, if we had to share a little baby custody situation, it's very awkward if you do have to see your partner and it in then like does the new partner get to come along? It's it's literally like sharing children if that's something that you decide. Um have And then you- you're also you're making decisions about okay, your your dog needs surgery or okay, I like this vet, but I like this vet. Like what do we do? Like you, there's just more things to have conflicts over. Yeah. Okay, so in your personal practice because you deal so great with couples, the relationship fix is my favorite. Me and Lisa went through that uh, a few times. Um you also deal with people just individually. Have you personally dealt with this and what was your experience in doing so? Like was it able to be cool? You mean and not fun? as not as a therapist but as a as a, just as a human. Yeah, or yeah, or as a yeah. human. I'm yeah. in as a therapist but yeah. even as a human, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, look, it, it, for me personally, in all of my previous relationships, when there's been a pet involved, it was pretty clear cut kind of who like, who that animal was most bonded to, who was most bonded to the animal. And even if it was a difficult decision, I always tried to make the decision that was in kind of everyone's best interest. And I think that that's an important thing to keep in mind in my private practice. And, and with my friends, I've seen a lot of different things happen. But again, I've, I can only think of one case where the family really successfully pulled off a joint custody and they also had kids. So like as the kids went back and forth, the animal mm-hmm. went back and forth. So it was pretty clear cut. Mm-hmm. But even even with that, there there are still conflicts over, you know, vet bills and who's taking who when and oh, I'm going out of town and you take the, like it, it's quite complicated. And I think that um, if it is possible for one person to have the custody and it's not going to completely destroy the other person, I think that that is the better option in terms of having to have future contact. Now, bear in mind, as you know, Michaela, I am an animal lover. I'm a vegan. I I couldn't be more attached to the animals in my life. I consider them family members. So I really understand kind of the the conflict in this but i also think that when you extend contact with someone who you are no longer with that oftentimes we we pay a price in our mental health and and conflict dealing with conflict absolutely well listen there's around 3 30,000 divorces uh, that happen a year that is now said to involve animals 3.2 million households acquired a pet during lockdown so that figure looks uh, set to rocket in the next coming years so it's an important conversation to have and i'm grateful that we have dr jen man to have it have it now coming now up coming up the power, the power of, of saying, saying no no find out why Kim Cottrell is saying no, no, no. When it comes to the return of Just Like That, she's finally saying it had to do with an unwarranted penis pic. We've got the details next. The Morning Beat with AJ Gibson and Michaela Gordon. Channel Q. Okay, now everybody really tuned into and just like that, but we also felt uh, the absence of Kim Cottrell and she's finally opening up about the power of saying no and why a penis pick storyline was the final straw when it came to passing on the third Sex in the City movie. She said the, and just like that series, uh, Kim Cattrall said is basically the third movie of Sex in the City that was never made. She felt like Samantha's character wasn't progressing since reportedly in the third film, she would have received 
unwanted penis pics from Brady, Miranda's 14-year-old son. First of all, that's a weird storyline, and I'm glad that it's like unwarranted from Samantha Jones, but that's bizarre, and I definitely feel like I understand where Kim Cattrall's coming from. Kim Cattrall also went on to say, why can't Samantha, who owns her PR company, maybe had to sell it because of financial woes? 2008 was tough. Some people are still recovering. Maybe she had to sell it to some guy who's wearing a hoodie, and that's the dilemma she has. Um... She thought all of these ideas were so great. Why go with that one? And ultimately, that was just the reason. She said that the character wasn't growing. She felt like it was a missed opportunity. Uh, she didn't want to be this like sexual vixen anymore. She wanted like more depth. And so she said, I wasn't comfortable. And I said, no. And she's now gone on to do two sitcoms she's currently filming. She says she's very grateful for that. But... No means no when it came to that movie. So much so that they didn't even invite her to do and just like that because they were so clear on her intention of not wanting to do it. So what do you think? Uh, look, I can understand where she's coming from. I there The idea of her receiving a unsolicited pick from 14-year-old Brady is is creepy and makes me uncomfortable. I'm not yeah, going to lie. Same. I could understand that. You know, I mean, I also think, and as I mentioned to you off air, I am a hardcore sex in the city addict fan, everything. I've probably seen every episode 10 times at least. And at the same time, I felt movie one and movie two were, were, they were letdowns and I could understand that combined with this whole new storyline and and that okay that's great that she i think that it was wonderful that she was able to be this sort of icon of sexual freedom and liberation and kind of free sexual speak which i think we all needed especially at that time in in the world but I agree that your your character needs to kind of evolve past just that especially as we get older and kind of our priorities change and life changes. And I think that it, it would have been important for her character to shift as well. Um, and, you know, look, the new series is is a whole new thing. And there, for me as a hardcore fan, there's something very comforting and wonderful about um, being back with these three women who feel like dear friends from the past that kind of remind me of my past, of past episodes. I find it very comforting. And at the same time, there are some things about the new series I don't love as much, but I'm still, I'm 100% all in. Anything that they shoot, I will be watching. I'm 100% committed. Absolutely. I love that. All right, coming up, we're going to continue the conversation. If Roe v. Wade fails, uh, if Roe v. Wade falls, what happens to our LGBTQ rights next? Paula Canny, our attorney, joins us and tells us what we need to know in the next hour. The Morning Beat, Channel Q. Welcome back to The Morning Beat. Now, AJ Gibson is out. He's still recovering. That's my honey. I've got it taken care of over here while he rests. And I'm grateful to have Dr. Jen Mann winging it with me. I, uh, If you are not familiar with Dr. Jen Mann, uh, you literally live under a rock. But also, uh, very popular. I found her on VH1. And uh, her book, uh, The Relationship Fix, has been incredible. You also have a book uh, for new parents. 
I do. I have a couple of books. I have one called Super Baby, 12 Ways to Give Your Child a Head Start in the First Three Years, and also The A to Z Guide to Raising Happy, Confident Kids. I love that. And listen, everyone needs those books right now because it's proving to be a very difficult time, not only for uh, this new generation, but us as adults, I think we're constantly being triggered, constantly having to do work that we thought was done years ago. So uh, I encourage everyone to get Dr. Jen Mann's books. Now we're having a big conversation this hour. We had an amazing conversation with our friend of the show, Dr. Alfie. If you missed that, you can always download our podcast at wearechannelq.com in regards to Roe v. Wade and our mental health. But we're continuing the conversation. If Roe v. Wade falls or LGBTQ rights next. Paula Canny, our attorney here, joins us. And then we're talking about Kim Kardashian. Is she problematic in saying she lost 16 pounds in three weeks to fit into the Marilyn Monroe dress? Some are saying it can be done. Others are saying that it's promoting crash diets. Uh, Where's their mental health at? We'll have that conversation. But first, let's get into a little bit of news on the beat. Transgender children are unlikely to detransition or come to identify with their birth sex five years after their social transition, a new study found. The findings published Wednesday in the journal Pediatrics come from a larger project called the Trans Youth Project. Researchers at Princeton University began in 2013 to track 317 kids between ages 3 and 12 who socially transitioned. The first and largest sample of its kind, according to Christina Olson, the study's lead author and a professor of psychology at Princeton. The results showed that five years after their initial social transition, 94% of the study participants were living as either trans girls or trans boys. The remaining youth had retransitioned, as the study called it, and no longer identified as binary transgender. Of that group, 2.5% came to identify with their birth sex. Really interesting. Okay, let's get into a little bit of weather. It's going to be a high of 66 in Boston, 78 in Dallas, 100 in La Quinta, 55 in Cleveland, 88 in Atlanta, 60 in San Francisco, 87 in Houston, 95 in Vegas, and 78 in LA. Now, before we get a vibe of the day, I want to remind you, Channel Q presents our second annual Divas in the Desert, starring the Tell It to My Heart Diva, the one and only Taylor Dane, Thursday, May 19th, 7 to 10 p.m. at the Morongo Casino Resort and Spa. Divas in the Desert is our fundraising event benefiting DAP Health and the Coachella Valley LGBTQ Center. So much fun. Rosemary Galore and friends will be joining us for a fun drag show. I'll be performing some songs from my new album and Capping the Night will be a special guest performance (laughs) by Taylor Dane. I love you, Dr. Jen. Tickets are on sale now at Ticketmaster.com. I always appreciate your support. Now give us a vibe of the day. Uh, This is a quote from activist Margaret Sanger. And she says, no woman can call herself free who does not control her own body. Yes, that's true. I totally agree. Well, we're going to continue that conversation uh, with another woman, Paula Canny, our attorney here on the show. If Roe v. Wade falls, our LGBTQ rights next? What we need to know in seven minutes. B. 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 Channel Q. 
Okay, so obviously it's very, very important for us to cover the possible overturn of Roe v. Wade as a woman. I'm so passionate about it. Uh, as Dr. Jen Mann is also a woman, a mother, we know how important this is. Uh, but we really do want to understand all the legalities. And also, if it does have the possibility to be overturned, how it could make its way into LGBTQ rights. Joined by another very powerful, passionate woman, uh, our attorney Paula Kenny. Paula, should we be concerned when it comes to our LGBTQ rights? We should be concerned as it comes to everything. This is frightening. Right now, there is a conservative majority on the, uh, on the United States Supreme Court of five people. And so there's nine justices. That five can vote to overturn, you know, all of everything. I mean, there's five people. It's it's absolutely frightening, and Roe v. Wade is absolutely going to get overturned. Why we're talking about this is because of uh, Monday, ju- you know, Justice Alito's draft opinion in the Mississippi abortion case was leaked. Politico got it and has distributed it. It's a 70-page opinion, and the bottom line is, is it overturns Roe v. Wade. It's Samuel Alito, Brett Kavanaugh, Clarence Thomas, Neil Gorich, Amy Comey, Barrett, and that's the five. It's, it's bad. Yeah, Dr. Jen Mann, I want you to join in with us as well because um, you made really amazing points when it came to when people want to say about abortion, well, you know, you can still go to other states. It's not uh, illegal everywhere. Women that are suffering, women of color, women that living in, in poverty, they can't just travel. So it's really, really dangerous. And that was a really great point that you made, Dr. Jen. Thank you so much. And I'm really interested, Paula. It, to me, this is so horrifying. It feels like an episode of The Handmaid's Tale. Um, Can you help us connect the dots between the right about what happens in your uterus to LGBTQ rights and and help us see kind of the bigger picture of what kind of this domino effect could potentially be? Well, yes. So I carefully went through the 75-page opinion. It is long. And so the, the beginning of it Basically, he's saying that there's no constitutional right to abortion. The Constitution has never said that you have a right that you have a right to get an abortion. And so, how Roe v. Wade was determined was the justices in 1973 ruled that there is, under the Due Process Clause, certain rights, and that includes a right to privacy. And that right to privacy includes the right to control what goes on in a woman's body. It's her privacy rights. So basically, in overturning Roe v. Wade in this decision, Alito was saying that uh, the due process clause, this right to privacy and the due process clause, it was misinterpreted in 1973. There is no such right to an abortion because it's not a deeply rooted right in the nation's history and in the tradition and isn't related to liberty. They do go on to say, he does write, though, in the opinion, Rose defenders characterize the abortion right as similar to the rights recognized in other decisions. But he does say that 
because Roe v. Wade destroys what those decisions call fetal life and what's now being, you know, to protect unborn children, you shouldn't construe what they're doing in here as to other rights because they're protecting the life of unborn children. So even though, I mean, look, as we all know, they all said Barrett, Kavanaugh, and Gorch all said that they believed in the concept of stare decisis and wouldn't do exactly what they're doing now in their confirmation hearings. I don't hold a lot of credence to what they're saying. Because, again, the marriage equality uh, things were grounded in due process, liberty, and uh, privacy interests. So this is underpins sort of those interests. And, again, it's gobbledygook. Okay, that's what I think we all need to understand about this. This isn't like a legal This is my opinion. This isn't like a legal decision. This is a moral decision made by these five people who are now using the law to utilize the law to reach a result that they want to reach, which is that the federal government, uh, well, they're all pro-lifers. They don't believe in abortion. They don't believe, if you read the, the, the opinion, they say all we're doing is regulating a medical procedure. And so because they're regulating a medical procedure, the test to determine its validity is a rational relationship test. They write in the opinion that it's like it's a medical procedure and the fact that it involves a woman is irrelevant because it's a medical procedure. And that's absurd. The only people that can get abortions are women. And so it should be a strict scrutiny test, not a rational relationship test. And then what you were saying, uh, doctor, about the travel, I have read that there are states that are going to institute laws banning their citizens to travel to another state to get an abortion. And that's absurd. Paula Kenny, I do want to talk to you. I opened this conversation on my Instagram yesterday and I had an attorney DM me. Um, mm-hmm. The post that I made was obviously we should be very concerned um, because this means same-sex marriage will be illegal again in 30 states, homosexuality illegal in 12. It's not if but when. And an attorney hit back at me. That's not what it says. It clearly says there's a difference between the right of same-sex marriage and a right to an abortion. I read the entire thing. They made it clear in the opinion that gay marriage is a right under the Constitution. They are saying abortion is not a right under the Constitution. So by then saying that in this opinion, it would be very hard. And plus, gay marriage is a constitutional right. There is no slippery slope as their opinion was really written straight legal based and didn't even address making abortion illegal. They just said it's not a right given under the Constitution and it's an issue to be voted by the people in their states under the 10th Amendment. Now, when I was given that, when I read that, I look, I'm not so familiar with the legalities of it all. Mm -hmm. I didn't understand what to say back. Um, Hearing that as an attorney. making stuff up. That's not what the opinion says. Right. That's just not what it says. But, you know, lawyers especially, and I'm one, we can all manipulate words to reach the result that we want, but that's not what it says. It does say it it tries to narrow its uh, perspective to abortion, but again, I'm saying it's something slightly different. 
These are five ultra-conservative people that fundamentally believe abortion is morally wrong. I wonder, and I kind of believe these five people may well think that same-sex marriage is fundamentally wrong, and that homosexuality is aberrational. And if they hold those views, I guarantee that they'll find a way to manipulate the law to substantiate their personal perspectives. Because this is a super personal attack. I mean, it's... It's personal. I, I heard Gloria Steinem in an interview last night with Christine Amanpour talking mm-hmm. about how when the Constitution was written, it wasn't it wasn't written to protect women. In particular, women weren't mentioned because we didn't have the rights at the time. We didn't have like we couldn't have a credit card. We couldn't earn our own money. We couldn't own property, all that sort of right. stuff. So when it comes when we come back to kind of this whole concept of like, well, being abortion being addressed in the Constitution, to me, as a non-legal mind, it doesn't make mm-hmm. sense to use that as an argument when women weren't even technically addressed in the Constitution. Is, is that right? Well, yeah. I mean, that's another brilliant point, because, right, let's think about uh, the originals, which Clarence Thomas and and Gore sort of think, too, that that you only interpret the Constitution at the time it was written. Well, at the time the Constitution was written, only white male men that owned property could vote. So, I mean, that's an absurd position. Women in the 17... You know, 1776 to 1789, they didn't vote. They Many states couldn't own property. I mean, many states viewed women as chattels, that is, things as property to own, to be owned by the husband. So, no, that position is, is absurd. I mean, and as women, we have to think, hmm, how are we viewed? How are we treated? How do we let ourselves, you know be treated. It's crazy because if you look at a map, you can Google it, look at a map of the United States, and 26 states are going to absolutely make abortion illegal. Mississippi makes now, this law is going to be upheld, no abortions after 15 weeks. So uh, the states on the coast are you know, women-friendly. The states in the center tend to be, uh, the center of the country tend to be a sort of draconian as to as to women but i mean we all of us as thinking women have to you know sort of take to the streets stand up for ourselves and stop uh, i don't know stop i, I, I you know elect women well Paula Kenny, we, we appreciate you. We want to at least, what we can do is just have you on the show, have these conversations. Your opinion um, is always so valid. Your knowledge is always so appreciated. So thank you for joining us. Thank you. Yes, keep up the good fight, everybody. Hang in there. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, thank Paula you. Kenny. The Morning Beat with AJ and Michaela. Channel Q. Okay, this is a really interesting conversation. Obviously, I want your opinion, Dr. Jen Mann. Let's get into what's popping. Now, Kim Kardashian has been, oh, I'm sorry, it's not a what's popping, it's a full conversation. Good, it deserves to be. Uh, Kim Kardashian went to the Met Gala and she's being deemed as either so problematic 
are incredibly iconic. She, uh, the theme of the Met Gala was like American history glamour. And so she decided to wear Marilyn Monroe's actual dress from the 1962 performance of Happy Birthday for JFK when she initially tried it on it was too small for her. So when she rocked it on the red carpet and they interviewed her, she said, it was actually too small for me. I lost 16 pounds in three weeks and I was able to fit it on. I'm only wearing it on this carpet and then I'm taking it off and wearing a replica. Now, some people thought... That's amazing. We love Marilyn Marilyn Monroe. It's not a big deal. It's been sitting in a museum. Uh, Other people are appalled and disgusted. Now people are also saying, including one Riverdale actress, Lily Reinhart, so wrong, so messed up on 100 levels, uh, to openly admit to starving yourself for the sake of the Met Gala when you know very well that millions of young men and women are looking up to you and listening to your every word. It's disgusting. I mean, there's two very intense sides in regards to Kim Kardashian, where do you stand? Well, look, as you know, um, I am someone who has recovered from an eating disorder. I wrote my doctoral dissertation about weight loss, dieting, intuitive eating. I have an app called No More Diets. It's all about this. So this is a topic that is very near and dear to my heart. I think it is unfortunate that she was so vocal about, you know, when they interviewed her, she was like, I'm starving. I haven't eaten a carb in, in weeks and about losing the 16 pounds. And, you know, she has so many young women in particular who look up to her that to kind of promote this is very concerning. And I think that there are a lot of young women, especially younger women who are still kind of trying to figure out their relationship with food and their bodies who are going to hear this and say, oh, I can do that. And it starts a whole diet mentality cycle of starving. And then typically when we deprive ourselves, we then tend to lose control with foods and it creates this cycle of starving and binging that all too many people, especially women and people with uteruses are familiar with. And I think that it is really dangerous. And I also have to say, side note, there are plenty of times where a famous actor has to lose weight for a movie and is interviewed and talks about it. And we don't judge it as harshly as we have judged this interview. And I think that part of what's different about this is that she seemed to be very proud of it. And that they, I've seen a lot of footage online of her with her sisters and her family kind of really sort of talking about this starvation diet in very positive glowing terms and also kind of, you know, kind of almost glamorizing anorexia. And that is highly concerning to me as someone who does a lot of work with people with eating disorders. You know, it's really tough. I also battled with eating disorders and I actually was very grateful when people like Kim Kardashian uh, became famous because my body looked like theirs pre-surgery. I was curvier. I felt like that was the first time that I was accepted of having dark hair and maybe more ethnic features. And I think that as society has moved forward, she's still curvy. And look, I think that you should do whatever you want to your body. I don't judge anybody on plastic surgery. I think that's for you and that's great for you. I did notice, though, that when she said I lost 16 pounds, I have um, uh, something I have to film in like three weeks. And immediately I said to my head, can I lose 16 pounds in three weeks? And I literally was having this conversation with myself. And then I was like, no, Michaela, we're spiraling. Um, Because she's 5'2". 
I'm 5'2". 16 pounds is a lot of pounds. You're a very it's a lot little of weight. woman I'm, as I'm well. I'm your height too. Yes. Yeah. And so, you know, I don't know if I want to judge her so harshly because I don't know if she meant it like that. Also, when these celebrities lose weight for their roles, I believe it's to portray... You could Look, you could make many arguments. You could say it's to portray uh, a different person and tell their story. I think that Kim was trying to say, I also did it for art, for the art of fashion, and I was emulating Marilyn Monroe. And then people would be like, no, you showed up as Kim Kardashian. There's so many arguments that I think surround this. And ultimately, what I think just has to be acknowledged is like... Yeah, it it might have triggered some. I'm 34 years old, and I I <laughs> I was questioning if I could lose 16 pounds. So, and, and I think that says a lot. And yeah. I think that our relationships with our body and food is a very complicated one. And I think that most people would benefit from doing some soul searching about their relationship with with food and their body. And this is not the example of really. I mean, this is not healthy. This is not a healthy relationship with food or your body when you're starving yourself and, you know, showing up on on the carpet saying how you haven't eaten carbs and you're so hungry. So I I think that uh, it is not, needless to say, the best role model. And, And hopefully, look, what's good about it is it has promoted some very serious, important discussions. And, and that's great. But I think that it is it is not something that people should be trying to do. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I Before we go, I'll make it so fast. I remember going to dinner years ago and we all were sitting at the table for a birthday and none of us, we ordered food. None of us wanted to eat it because we were going out after and we were all in these dresses that did not fit us. I was really young. I was about 20. And one of our friends came in late and she is beautiful. And she sat down. She goes, yeah, I need the uh, this burrito and da, 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 da. she ate it all cleaned the plate while everybody sort of just looked at their food and she's like all right let's go and I never ever forgot that I thought she was so confident so cool taking care of herself like in and out and I respected that so much and and really like that I just admire and love and so you know be the guy that eats it's good it's delicious and, and, and- and I think also, look, I, I am a big believer. I come from a feminist psychology standpoint that when we are starving, we don't have the brain power to, you know, take down the, you know, the people who are causing problems. I hate to say the patriarchy, but the kind of negative aspect and of kind of this society that you got to have energy and you got to have food in you in order to fight the good fight. Yes, yes, I agree. All right, coming up. The Dave Chappelle attack is the beginning of the end of comedy. That's what one huge comedian is claiming, and we'll talk about it and what's popping. The Morning Beat with AJ and Michaela, Channel Q. All right, let's get into a little what's popping. It's no laughing matter. Howie Mandel is not looking forward to doing stand-up comedy in the near future. The 16, the 66-year-old admitted that he's fearful for the comedic community following Will Smith slapping Chris Rock at the Oscars in March and the recent attack on Dave Chappelle at the Netflix is a Joke Festival on May 3rd. Not to comment on what happened at the Academy Awards, but I thought that that opened the floodgates. 
we're already seeing as comedians being attacked as far as being canceled for something that you don't like, something that you find offensive, something that you think is too soon. Uh, Howie Mandel went on, you saw what happened at the Academy Awards, and I thought that just triggers violence, triggers violence, and I think this is the beginning of the end for comedy. The Canadian also joked that if he was in Rocks or Chappelle's shoes, I wouldn't stand there, I wouldn't fight back, and I would just run. What do you think, Dr. Jen? You've been in this business for so long. You've seen all of this go down. Obviously, violence is not the answer, but should these comedians start being fearful and is the beginning of the end? I think we really need to increase security at all of these shows. And I think that that people, that it kind of has opened, like you said, it's opened the floodgates that, that we've seen now someone cross a line and now there are more kind of copycats. I think people are feeling freer to do that. Yeah. But I think this has been a trend for a while. And that was just kind of one very public example that kind of put gave a lot of people sort of the impetus to be like, hey, you know what, I, I can cross that line. And I do think I think we're in a very sensitive time. I think people are getting very triggered. I also think people's mental health since this pandemic has begun has really declined and people's impulse control has declined and people's anger and rage has declined. I think as a culture, we have a lot of PTSD. And so I think that sometimes comedians get up and talk about things and are trying to kind of bring some humor around sensitive, difficult topics, because you know what, sometimes that is what we need. Sometimes it's therapeutic to be able to kind of laugh about our misery or our pain, kind of that dark humor. And I think that there are a lot of people who are getting very triggered and who have some mental health issues who are crossing the line. And and that's really scary. Yeah, I agree with you. I mean, the fact that this man was allowed to be in the Hollywood Bowl with a knife, like that's a security issue. And what's crazy is, and very unfortunate, and I'm not sympathizing with the attacker but because they didn't get him then the 11 security guards backstage tackled him dislocated both of his arms they beat him they to a bloody pulp and all of this really just could have been avoided had there been better security in the front it's a very weird time right now i think for everybody um and everyone's mental health but uh, you know, we'll continue keeping you updated. And uh, we hope that Howie Mandel is able to find some peace heading on to stage. Now, coming up with the tragedy of Naomi Judd's death, is it highlighting the mental health of our elders? We talk about what you need to know in the next hour. Tell me something good. So we always like to leave you with a little tell me something good story. Sometimes they're stories that we get from the press. Sometimes they're personal. Now, Dr. Dr. Jen Mann joins us today. I adore her. You've literally become like my soulmate. I just feel so grateful to have the opportunity to even know you like this. You have two beautiful daughters whom I cannot wait to meet. Uh, But we want to turn it to you because there's some tell me something good coming from the girls. Well, one of my daughters was made the editor of her school paper, and she is also now the president of the Women's Health Club, which she is working to be more gender inclusive in its title. Oh, my God. That's so major. Very proud of my girl. Dr. Jen, how old is she and what values, I think, have you tried to instill in her that clearly are working so well that she is just doing so much uh, just in school? She is 15 and a half and I took my daughters to their first protest, which is an animal rights protest, starting when they were 
I'd say probably about four years old. Oh, I love you. Um, so to me, standing up for what we believe in is, is a core value. And she has really great values and is someone who is an incredibly sensitive soul and who really is always thinking about how things impact other people and and just is a really amazing all-around human. Both of my girls are. I mean, they're both incredible. I think that's amazing. You know, Dr. Jen, one thing that I've taken from you just in the time that we've been friends is your tips on parenting. I feel really grateful to know you as Lisa and I navigate through our own fertility journey. I think the best thing that you've done with your girls has been 100% honest with them and making boundaries so clear and I think that's great I think it's really up to this next generation to make changes because clearly they still need to be made if we have to get back out on the streets again to uh chant for women's rights so absolutely I, I, yeah no I have I have a friend who got a call from her mom after this announcement about Roe v Wade and her mom was like I already took my generation to care of this. What's your generation going to do about it now? Yeah, it's true. Well, well, I think all of the generations need to fight for our rights. I do think that, you know, the next generation is going to be the one to carry the torch. Yeah, I think so, too. Well, listen, it was a great show today. Thank you again to Dr. Alfie uh, for having a wonderful conversation when it comes to mental health for our sisters and trans brothers. Also, Paula Canny, another great conversation. Uh, Dr. Jen Mann, we adore you. The Relationship Fix is my favorite book. Uh, For people that want more of your information, where can they find you? You can find me on all social media at Dr. Jen Mann. Two ends on Jen, two ends on man. Yes. Well, tomorrow's Friday. We have a great show for you. Until then, stick around for three hours of curated music. Please, if you're drinking tonight and having so much fun, we encourage it. Just be safe. Take care of yourself. We'll see you tomorrow. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Odyssey is giving you a chance to win a trip to London to see Taylor Swift at the Eras Tour. It's Tay in the UK. Hey, it's Taylor. Just download the free Odyssey app, log in and listen to a participating station for a minimum of 60 minutes to get your daily entry. And you could win a chance to fly off to London with three friends and see Taylor. I can't wait to see you at the Eras Tour in London. For more, go to odyssey.com slash Taylor. Tay in the UK. It's on the Odyssey app. Thanks to Republic Records. This is a national contest. (laughs) 